business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's 10 minutes past 12. The fourth day of the war. A very sad, confusing, desperately, desperately scary scenario that we are living with at the moment. And I want to dedicate the first portion of the show, the next 20 minutes, to giving you insights as to my own personal experiences that I've had since Shabbat morning, since Saturday morning. And maybe giving you a perspective of what an average Israeli civilian goes through, who I am in the picture, in the sense that I and my family and myself are new to the Israeli landscape, and our experiences since we've been here. And to maybe just try and give you a sense of what we are experiencing as Israelis on a day-to-day scenario. So... To maybe state the obvious for those of you who know, but those of you who don't know, um, my name is Avi Kay. I made Aliyah to Israel with my wife, Devara, and our daughter, Naama, at the, in December 2020, in the heart of COVID. We came to Israel because that had been a lifelong dream of mine. And once our older three boys had come to Israel and established themselves here, and we had come to spend a Jewish holiday of Pesach with them the year before. We decided that the time was right for us to come to Israel. COVID was a difficult time to come. We didn't know where we were going to. It was very difficult to get things planned and organized. But everything fell into place and we came to Israel. We spent our first two weeks in a hotel room because of COVID. And being South Africans, we were carrying the variant that was apparently very dangerous. And we then came to our apartment in Modi Inn, which we've been renting since we arrived. That was absolutely stark. There was nothing inside it. There were a few borrowed beds um, and friends that helped us with trestle tables and chairs. And that's how we started here. And we very quickly got our lives together and got very settled. We came into our children's lives. Our older three boys were already living in Israel. Our first child in Israel was Ellie, who came uh, a couple of years before that. After he finished school in South Africa, he went to Yeshiva in Australia, then went to Yeshiva Rabbinical College in Israel, and then joined the army, spent two years in the paratroopers, spent two years working in agriculture in the land, and at the same time did a tour guides course in Sterot of all places. And then he was going to university to to study political science, and he was living in Jerusalem. Our older son finished a rabbinical college um, in Australia and in America and in Pretoria, South Africa, and then decided that he was coming to Israel. And when we came to Israel, he was in the middle of his uh, training for Sayeret Givati, which is a special forces unit in an infantry unit. And our youngest son, Hanan, who also finished school in South Africa, came to study in Israel for a year and a half, and then went in with a group from Bnei Akiva into 
Nachal, the Nachal Brigade, the Gdud um, Hamishim, Brigade 50, which is a famous brigade. He joined them and he spent three years roughly in that unit. That's just to give you the background. Um, we were very, very happy in Israel. We settled down, I being a South African and being very, or both us being South African and being very proud of what we had been through in South Africa, the transition, which was for the most part peaceful. We built a new country. We were active parts of that. We were very proud to see transition happen and all our children were born in the new South Africa. But I got to the point where it was time to leave and we went to where we wanted to be in Israel and South Africa always did and always will hold a very, very special place in our hearts. It's a place we grew up. It's a place that gave us refuge for generations. It's a case that gave us a moral compass, both ourselves and our children. And with that backdrop, I say that when we came to Israel, I reveled in the idea of a mixed society, of the idea that Jews could live as Jews, Arabs could live as either Christians or Muslims, and we didn't have to live next door, but we could go coexist very, very peacefully. And on the 21st of November, 2021, was an overcast, cold day. Our son, Eli, the one who brought us to Israel, the catalyst for us coming home, was murdered by Hamas terrorists at 10 to 9 in the old city of Jerusalem in cold blood. The world was appalled. Israeli society was appalled. Jewish society around the world was appalled. The support for us was exemplary and overwhelming. And we moved on in the sense that we learned to live with the pain. We learned to do positive things. We started our own non-profit organization. We got to meet incredible people across the spectrum of Jewish society in Israel and abroad. And we tried very hard to normalize our lives for ourselves and our children. On Simchat Torah, the ending of the festival of Sukkot, which happened on Saturday, last Shabbat, we woke up to the boons and we knew right away those were the Iron Dome booms, because we've heard them many times before. We've been through two operations in Gaza since we've been here. And then the siren went. And our neighbor came in next door to tell us what is happening. And I went next door and watched for us go what was unfolding on the television. And we almost went into shutdown. Couldn't believe what was happening. We still didn't know the magnitude of what was transpiring. And then there was a knock on the door and there was standing a girl in my daughter's unit with her father saying to my daughter, turn your phone on. Your officer is trying to get hold of you. And at that point, I think we realized that things were really, really serious. Within an hour, a taxi was outside our house and our daughter was gone. On a taxi, back to join her unit, a combat unit. Um. From that time on, the phones were on and uh, we learned that our oldest son and his wife had also been called up. They both finished the army um, two, three years ago and they were both called up. And that evening, our youngest son, who only got married three months ago, was called up at the same time. So as I speak to you, we have 
one child murdered by a Hamas terrorist, our other three children and our daughter-in-law fighting for Israel's survival. So I give you those credentials because I think it qualifies me to maybe speak from a different vantage point. And at the same time, I sit here and I think about other parents, people that I've known from school, people that I've known through my adult life, who are going through suffering at the moment that is immeasurable, not knowing where their children are, or in one specific case, not knowing where their son is. We have friends here in Israel where we went to greet them on Sukkot and the festival, and we were introduced to our good friend's father, and she introduced him to him, and we met him for the first time. We received a message two days ago that he watched on the television as his sister, her daughter, and her grandchildren were taken hostage into Gaza. So that's not somebody who told us who knows somebody. That's a friend of ours who I know very, very well, who my friend, my wife is close with, whose aunt, her cousin, and their children are just in the middle of nowhere, not knowing what's going on. The massacre is truly something that you can't even begin to understand or begin to comprehend. What is, what have communities done in Israel? What has been done here? So, at 12.30, we're going to speak to an incredible guy called Elliot Bacher, a guy that I met when I first came to Israel, who runs an organization called Grilling for the IDF. And he often used to bug me, you know, please come with me. We're going to do a barbecue here and a barbecue here. In our parlance, we're going to be doing a bra here and a bra here. And it was something that never really appealed to me. But all of a sudden, my friend said to me, we all at Elliot's house. I get there. Ladies are standing making sandwiches. There's not anything's been bought for this operation. And then I went with another friend and we went down to Gaza to distribute all this food that had been specifically, sorry, specifically requested. It wasn't that we just made random food and went out to give it. We've we were given orders as to how many burgers, how many steak rolls, how many sandwiches, and everything from food to toiletries to lady, ladies' hygiene products, everything was delivered. We had to stop on the side of the road. A, an army vehicle came up, and we offloaded into that. And at the same time, we watched our young men going off to war to protect their homeland. Now, just to describe the new landscape that you see in Israel is Israel has become a parking lot. Any collection point, so there's a place up the road from us called Machane Ofer, which is a prison, but it was a collection point for soldiers going on, reserve soldiers being called up, kilometers of cars just parked all over. You know, you almost expect traffic police to be all over ticketing because it looks chaotic. But these are husbands, fathers, boyfriends, professionals, bartenders, wherever they are, have stopped their lives, driven to the closest point that they were told to go to, to join. I went to another place in the, in the Shomron 
otherwise unfortunately known as um, the West Bank. There is a massive army um, warehouse um, um, depot over there. Without exaggeration, maybe 1,500 cars. No one was shooting. No one was pushing. No one was shuffling. Everybody was just trying to get into place to park their cars and to walk in. And what a motley crew it was. Guys with dreadlocks, earrings, tattoos, a little bit overweight, uniforms misfitting. These are guys who did their midwin, did their annual call-ups every single year, but never expected to be called up to a war of this magnitude. So when people turn around and say, why is Israel not supplying enough food? Why is the army not doing this and not doing that? Let's separate two important issues. Issue number one, Israel getting caught off guard. Israel was caught off guard. There's no beating around the bush. There's no other way to see it. Israel was caught sleeping as how Hamas ripped through the fence, came over, captured 29 Yushuvim settlements, massacred people, ran into this open-air festival and killed over 250 people. The stories coming out from there are gruesome. And then they went into our towns, burned homes in order to flush people out, shot people randomly, kidnapped men, women, and children. The horror is something of Roman proportions, stuff that we never thought would happen again in civilization. There was the Holocaust, and we thought the world had learned from that. But then we had Rwanda. Then we had Bosnia. And now we've got this. And what has really stupefied me is that maybe to my own shortcoming, I like to listen to newscasts from across the spectrum because every side is biased when you hear it. And I feel that if you listen from every side, you sort of get the truth somewhere in the middle. But when I listened to interviews with the ambassador of Hamas to the UK, and I listened to an interview to a spokesperson of Hamas still in Gaza, and the question was posed to them, did you kill civilians? And the answer is no, we didn't. Every Israeli is a target. And the blatant lies that come out, to me, was a watershed moment. Because so often you listen to spokespeople and you hear the atrocities that Israel has done. And Israel is not entirely innocent at all. But when you hear the way they can lie so blatantly to the world now, in 2023, with all the evidence that is available, you really need to sit back and think, is all the garbage that I've been fed over all these years true? Is there any resemblance of truth? Gaza being the biggest open-air prison in the world. I'm often asked on a Wednesday when I do my duty at the Kotel by non-Jews um, where they find that I can speak English fluently and that they are um, happy to discuss things. You know, is there a wall around this and this city? I said, you were there, you saw it. So why are you asking me if there's a wall? You know there's a wall. But you know why there's a wall? And it's very simple. Israel wants to coexist. The Arabs, and Hamas in particular, and Hezbollah, want Jews dead. It's not a matter of wanting land. 
It's a matter of wanting to kill Jews. As simple as that. As we have said, and my wife has reiterated many, many times, our son Eli was killed by Hamas for one reason only. He was a Jew. He was not a, a, a military person. He had been out the army for two years when he was murdered. And yet Hamas murdered him. And the Arabs celebrated. There were parties all over the West Bank. Sweets were handed out at, at robots and stop streets. The, par, the, the deputy speaker of the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, refused to stand. Refused to stand when the Knesset asked for a moment of silence. I tell you now, publicly on air, if an Arab child, youngster, was killed for no reason, and I was asked to show respect and stand, I certainly would. And that is the backdrop that I give you. It is absolutely grim. Bear in mind that I stand here as a father of a murdered son, but I can visit my son's grave. I can read the incredible inscription on it. We receive photos of his friends going to visit him. Every time we get there, there's evidence of who's been there and how much love and how pouring there is. But there are parents today who have no idea where their children are. That pain is something that the human mind, I don't think, can deal with. So before we criticize and before we knock, and there will be place for that, and there will be a right to have those frustrations, the time now is to close your mouth if you have nothing positive to say. Because people are hurting, and people who are in pain don't want to hear your opinion. They just want to know that you support them and that you're there for them. And instead of saying something inappropriate or something wrong, rather don't say anything. Just so, just show your support. I know for us, some of the most comforting things we ever received was a cup of coffee. In the morning, there was a knock on the door. A week, two weeks after Ellie had been murdered and, you know, life had moved on for many people. And there was just a cup of coffee from Aroma up the road to say, hi, we know you enjoyed this, you know, a few weeks ago, so we're sure you'll enjoy another one. A bunch of flowers before Shabbat. A cake from a total stranger just to say, don't worry who I am, just know that I have you in mind. And that's the support we need to give Israel. And that's the support we need to give the Jewish nation right now. But of course, together with that, is a huge amount of equipment that is needed, a huge amount of money that is needed. And we're going to speak to Elliot about that in the next minute or two. But I just also want to urge everybody to please be very careful where they give money and how they give money. Because unfortunately, at this time is when the charlatans raise their head. And just please make sure that your money is going to be spent in a worthwhile manner. So let's take a quick break, Craig. When we come back, we're going to speak to Elliot Bacher. And we are going to see the amazing work that he does and just get the insight or the positivity of what's happening from that from him. We'll be back with you in a moment. 
This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. It is 12.30 South African time, 1.30 Israeli time. And I'm speaking to a man who doesn't know about time. A man who since Shabbat morning has done what he's always been doing for the last couple of years. But he ratcheted up to a level that is almost mind-boggling. Elliot Obacher, welcome to Chai FM. Thank you. Nice to be here. Great. Elliot, tell us a little bit about yourself. This is a business show, but you're in the business of looking after Israeli soldiers. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your connection to Israel, and how you started your incredible organization. Made Aliyah from uh, Englewood, New Jersey in 2015 with my wife. Um, I have three daughters also living in Israel, um, 26, 26, and 30. We started grilling um, as a nice thing to do to uh, make us feel good that we were contributing to uh, to living here in Israel. And uh, we started doing a bunch of uh, barbecues for um, Haredi units. Uh, they get very little support in general. They're they're looked down upon. And we were doing it haphazardly every once a month, once every two months. It really wasn't uh, something that we were doing on a regular basis. And then we got a call one Sunday morning from the rabbi of uh, one of the uh, units, and he asked me for a favor. And I said, if I can do a favor for you, rabbi, it uh, would be my pleasure. And he said, unfortunately, one of the boys in the unit um, put a bullet in his own head on Friday night, and the unit was unable to function. And could we possibly come and do a barbecue for them to raise their morale and restart the unit? And as they say in Israel, nafal lanu ha'asimo, the lights went on in our heads. Um, all of a sudden, we realized that what we're doing is not meat and it's not a barbecue and it's not something nice to do, but we're actually able to raise the morale of units. And if we once we learned that we're able to raise the morale of a unit, it was no longer something nice to do, but it became an obligation. We've learned that uh, an army unit that has morale uh, can do anything. And an army unit without morale has trouble doing anything. And from that point on, we started doing about one barbecue a week. Uh, during the summer this year, we amped it up to twice a week. And um, in the last uh, 72 hours, uh, because of the situation here in Israel, there were um, lots of soldiers called up into lots of places that were not prepared for them. And many of my contacts that we've been barbecuing for for the past three years got in touch with me and asked me if we could send them any type of food, anything at all. And in the past uh, 72 hours, we've been able to feed a little bit more than 3,000 soldiers um, we set up uh, barbecues. I don't know if you can see um, here in our yard. We set up distribution centers. Um, we have all kinds of uh, drinks and things that were delivered to us. And uh, um, we've been really able to uh, to make a difference and make sure that a bunch of our soldiers um, are fed and looked after. And uh, we really appreciate everybody's support in what we're doing. Now, Elliot, you, you showed around. I wish this was television so that people could see what you were showing and also see your face, but unfortunately it's radio. But I did take videos yesterday because I was honored and proud to be part of your organization yesterday and um, to wear your, wear your t-shirt um, and to stand there making sandwiches, 
calling friends who I know are really, really battling because their sons are also fighting um, on different fronts and taking casualties as we speak. They came and all of a sudden there was light in their face because people were being constructive. They were contributing. I then had the the, the merit to go with our good friend, um, Joe Magnus, yesterday, and we drove down to Gaza and we distributed, I sent you the videos, just to see the, the, the scenario there was, and on the one hand, heartwarming, and on the other hand, completely desperate, with watching our young boys almost running into battle, and they're not so young. Some of them, you know, are, are people on Miluim, they're already in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and at the same time, being able to support them. Um, Elliot, going forward, how do you feel that you're going to be able to, uh, what do you feel you need to do to keep morale up for soldiers? And what do you need from people in your area? Uh, so right now we're thinking less about morale and thinking about logistics. We've been able to distribute over a thousand phone chargers. We've been able to distribute over a thousand headlamps. We're working right now on bringing in the ceramic vests into Anything that are in shampoo, um, toothbrushes, toothpaste, um, tampons for the women. Uh, I mean, any basic needs is what we're dealing with right now, including uh, um, drinks and any food that we can get in. Um, that's really what our, our short-term goal is right now, making sure that our, our units who are out in the field um, have the um, all of the necessary items that they just don't have enough of to go around um, with a huge mission going on up north and a huge mission going on down south as well. Um, we've gone from just grilling for IDF to supplies for IDF on every level that we possibly can, um, and we're trying to make sure that our, our boys and our our our, our men and women have uh, um, every bit of um, equipment that they possibly could need when they're out in the field. Um, that's our short-term goal. And then our long-term goal will be, as um, as always, we'll just want to go out and try to make as many soldiers and, you know, Magovniks and Milowimnikim and, and everybody out there um, feel the support of uh, the citizens, which is really what we do. Um, when we go out and do barbecues, we tell them that it's um, what we call Hakarata Tov. We're just really out there to to thank them for their service and to thank them for giving us the opportunity to live here in Israel. Um, and we would not be able to do that without um, the IDF and without these people who um, put their lives on the line every single day for us. And um, our long-term goal is to make sure that we have the the money and the manpower to continue to continue to do um, barbecues um, once a week or twice a week as often as we can and make sure that um, we are letting our Chayalim know that um, they have our back and they, they're doing the work and, and, and we're looking out for them as best as we can as well. Elliot, I'm maybe going to pull you a little bit out of your comfort zone, but, you know, um, as High FM is the only Jewish radio station in South Africa, we have many listeners who are not Jewish, and we try to bring a balanced view as to what's going on. You know, the Israeli army is portrayed as one of the toughest armies in the world, disciplined, really, really um, on the cutting edge of technology, which we know it is. But other people portray it as barbaric, as that our young boys and girls are there to butcher Arabs, torture them, make them uncomfortable, and really make their lives a misery. I know that's not true. 
What has your experience been when you've spent time with soldiers? What has their discussions with you been? Has it been one of hate and one of vengeance and revenge? Or has it been another experience? The average soldier, what do you chat to them about? Uh, the first thing I'll say is, is that the, um, the IDF is aptly named. Uh, we are literally the Israel Defense Forces. Um, they are defenders of the country and defenders of the nation. Um, we are not on the offensive. Um, we have never been on the offensive, which is why uh, we take um, many losses and casualties that we should not have to take. Hopefully no, about just um, what we can do for them, um, how much they appreciate what we're doing for them, um, how much they appreciate. They say that it's um, it's not obvious that um, uh, that people recognize that uh, what they do is so critical. And um, for us, it is obvious. But uh, what I can tell you from a different perspective is that um, because I do so much supermarket shopping um, for for goods that uh, that we are feeding soldiers with. Um, I have a lot of interaction with Arabs. And before I made Aliyah, if you would have told me that I have 10 Arabs, um, Muslims, Muslim Arabs that are on my contact list that I talk with every week and sometimes three or four times in a week. And what they say to me is they love what we do and they love the fact of living here in Israel. And they would rather live in Israel than in any other country in the entire Middle East. They have rights. They have opportunity. They have a, a, an opportunity to raise their families and have a better life for their families than they would someplace else. And they hate the terrorists. They hate Hamas and they hate the PA and they hate the jihad and they want to live here in peace with us. And that's the vast majority of Arabs. Um, the small percentage of Arabs that are the terrorists are the ones who are being funded by Iran and by Qatar and by the United States of America, I'm sad to say. Um, and those are the people who are out there butchering women and children and blowing up things and and burning things down and burning the 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 country as best as they can because they don't want peace. They want world domination. And if you look at the entire map of the Middle East, Israel is a tiny, tiny little sliver of that map. And we're just wanting to live here in peace. And we're willing to live in peace here with anybody who wants to live here in peace with us. But as we saw here on Saturday morning, on Shabbat morning, the level of barbaric, I don't even have words for it, of the inhuman things that were done, um, the burning of houses with people alive inside of them and the, the torturing of the grandparents and the little kids in front of the parents and the beheadings of, of, of Thai workers. I, I mean, there's just no end to their, you know, to what they're doing. And, and uh, anybody who 
talks about uh, Israel being the off- the offensive side of what's going on here has just never been here. Um, you t- go on a bus and you go on a train and you go into a supermarket and there's everybody. There, there's not a problem with color. There's not a problem with religion. There's not a problem with anything. There's a problem with hatred that is being nurtured um, in the religious society of many different mosques and um, the iman gets up there and tells them, you know, that Jews are inferior people and need to be killed. And then these guys go out and commit, you know, horrific things. I don't have to tell you, uh, Avi. I mean, you know, is uh, better than than I do, you know, of of, of what, uh, the, you know, what these people are capable of. And, um, you know, every single person has a story. Uh, you have a, one of the, unfortunately, one of the one of the worst stories. And uh, um, all I can tell you, nation and protect its people. That's all they're about. Um, that's all any of us are about. Um, we don't have hate. We don't have hate in our hearts, um, you know, for anybody. Um, we just want to live here in peace. We want to make the world a better place, and we're doing the best that we can at doing it. And um, unfortunately, there are way too many people who just hate Jews for being Jews. Um, they don't hate Israel, as you know. Uh, um, they say they they don't hate Jews. They only hate Zionists. And I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, we were here many thousands of years ago. There's archaeological proof of us being here. Our temple was built here. Um, they have tried everything they can to destroy the archaeology and destroy the history and to say things that are just plain old not true. And if you don't like Jews to begin with and you want to get on that bandwagon, there's lots of opportunities to do so. But if you want to face up to the truth, the truth is, is that um, we are a peaceful nation that just wants to live in peace. Elliot, before I let you go, how do people reach out to you? How do people contact you? And um, Because I said just before you came on air that, unfortunately, at a time like this, there are so many opportunities to, to you know, to get money. And the charlatans come out of the cupboard. And uh, either they take your money entirely or a fair portion of what you're giving doesn't actually get to where it's meant to go. With you, I know everything gets to where it's meant to go. And not only that, I just want to give a massive shout out to to our friends, our community in Modi'im, Makabim Reut, who put their hands in their pockets over the last three days and bought untold amounts of meat, bread, spreads, electrical goods, equipment. And they, I mean, I, I saw a chap come up to you yesterday saying to you, I've distributed so many thousand charges for cell phones and you said to him, okay, well, give me the receipt. And he just looked at you with dismay and said, hey, are you out of your mind? This is my charity. This is my opportunity to give. And you've given people that opportunity. And I also mentioned that you've given people an opportunity to get out of their homes, to get away from the fear, to get away from the doom and gloom. Yourself and your good lady have opened up your home and turned it into an absolute factory of goodness and kindness. And uh, please, God, whatever you do, you should be able to do more and more and more. We know every time somebody went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and told him, I've done this and this and this, the Rebbe would say, thank you very much. But what's next? In other words, we never rest. And you're doing such good work. You should just have the energy to go on. How do people reach out to you? 
Thank you. So we're, we're on the web at www.grillingforidf.com. Grilling like a barbecue grill, grillingforidf.com. We're on Facebook under the same name. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Um, we're on, uh, Facebook. We're, we're every social media outlet that's possible. Grilling for IDF is who we are. And, um, any support that we can get, we have been, you know, blessed in the last, uh, 48 hours. We've raised a little bit more than a hundred thousand U.S. dollars. And, um, with, uh, with God's help, we'll be able to raise more and continue, uh, to do our work, which many people have said is, uh, is really God's work. And, uh, if you are a believer in the Almighty and you want to help us continue what we're doing, uh, we welcome, you know, partnerships from anywhere in the world. Um, now that they've told us there are aliens as well, we would take, um, aliens on our side as well. Um, we're just really happy to, uh, to be able to do what we do and live here peacefully in the land of Israel and, uh, and pray for the, uh, for the coming of, uh, of the Messiah of Mashiach, Bemheira Yameinu in, in the next days. Elliot, I'm going to keep you on the line for another few minutes because, um, I just maybe want to share with you a, a few events that I've had. You know, having three kids on the front, their biggest concern was they don't have bulletproof um, jackets. Um, my sons don't have bulletproofs at all. And my daughter has a bulletproof jacket, but she doesn't have the plates, the, either the steel or the ceramic plates that go in in the front. And because of our tragedy, we've got to meet some incredible people. We went on a Shabbaton, a weekend away with an organization called Mishpacha Echat, one family. And there we got to meet an amazing young lady who lost her child in Sterot, a village, very a city, very close to the Gaza border that has had untold decimation over the last uh, 72 hours. She was lying on top of her child during a bombing, and her child died anyway, and she was quite badly injured. Um, she started an organization supplying soldiers who don't have the financial means to have the equipment that they need. And now I'm talking about underwear, socks, toiletries, um, a place to go home to if they had to move away from home, looking after them. And when I heard this about from my children, I reached out to her and she said to me, she's since moved to Miami. And I said to her, our kids need bulletproof vests. Within an hour, she had procured 115 bulletproof vests 115 helmets and 115 knee pads paid for. She had organized with the LL to get them shipped. She had organized with customs to get them through. All we needed to do was to fetch them at the airport. And that's Elliot where your organization, I think will come in. We'll reach out to our friends over here because that's a lot of boxes and we'll go and collect them. But that is just the incredible event that happened. And then when I got that far, I realized that I was still about 150 jackets short. And my son reached out to a non-Jewish business associate of his in America, a chap named Andrew. Don't know his, any more details like that. And he said to him, don't worry about it. I've got you covered. And we procured the balance of the amount that we need. There was then a family in South Africa and a family in Toronto, Canada, who've come up with the money, and it's a significant money. And we've got that covered. So 
it really, it's just incredible to see how everything comes together and how networking from a business point of view, knowing people. And if you just give the opportunity to, for people to do good, it's incredible how people grab the opportunity and are really, really happy to do that. Elliot, everything of the best to you. Thank you for your time. And again, www.grillingforidf.com. Right. Grilling, grilling F-O-R, grillingforidf.com. Okay. And, uh, and one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, we have no employees. Uh, the only thing that we spend money for is the website. Otherwise, 100% of the money goes directly towards feeding Hyalin. Elliot, thank you. And thank I look you. forward to working with you for many years to come, but on the happy thank events. Thank you very thank you, much. Thank you, Abby. Thank you. Great. There was Elliot Orbacher, an incredible man, himself and his wife, who have really dedicated their lives to helping soldiers in a positive and an, a, a way that really just uplifts their spirit. And to end off on, on a positive note, just to say that the support that people have received from Jews and non-Jews alike all over the world is incredible. The nations that have stood behind us, the opportunity that Hamas have had to expose themselves as cold-blooded killers and liars is an opportunity that should be taken to be exposed so people understand who and what we're dealing with. But at the same time, as I reiterated before, this is a time for positivity and constructive action. It's not a time for screaming matches. It's not a time to sit around your Shabbat table talking negative so that that is the image that we portray. That's about talking about what can be done. You don't need to be rich and you don't need to have money. But by just being positive, you send out a positive energy. Or at very least, you don't send out a negative energy. We need to be surrounded by positivity. On the practical note, communities around the world need to be safe. They need to know that our enemies are everywhere. And we need to know, as I just heard in the interview of our previous Israelis, previous ambassador to United States, United States, that anybody who supports Hamas has the same moral standing as Hamas. And we know there are no shortage of those people. So please be safe, be vigilant, be aware, but most importantly, be human. Treat everybody with respect, regardless of who they are, because you never know where they've been or where they're going. And when your paths might cross again, wishing everybody of the best, wishing comfort to those who are bewildered because they don't know where their loves are, loved ones are, Wishing comfort to those who are mourning the tragic loss of their loved ones and just wishing support and peace to the whole Jewish nation. And please God, whatever's going to happen will be quick and will be over and everybody can get back to normal lives. But we will never be normal because since the Holocaust, we haven't had this tragedy. We will carry this pain with us forever. Thank you for listening. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. Be well. Thank you very much.